Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Now at your service. Welcome to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with Mike Miller on the voice of St. Louis KMOX. Yes, folks, thanks for stopping by. We'll be taking a good gardening stroll shortly, but right now you can give us a call at 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. With ideas, questions, comments, or concerns, Alex will be answering the phone. He just needs your first name and where you're calling from. And, Mr. Kelly, welcome yes, back. thank you very much. So when you were gone, who fed the birds? Well, they were a little mad when I got home. I'll bet. Yes. They probably are dive-bombing at you. They they are, yeah. <laughs> I went out there, and they all looked at me like, what is going on here? But uh, it's been exciting since we got back, though, because before we left, there hadn't been a hummingbird yet. So when we got back uh, another day or so, we had our first hummingbird, so they're back. Uh, two days ago, we had an oriole. Whoa. And we actually also, when we got back, had a red-headed woodpecker. Ooh. Which is, you know, a lot of people see the uh, red-breasted woodpecker and right. think that's red-headed, right? right? They kind of have that red, almost orange kind of head. Mm-hmm. Well, if you've ever seen a red-headed woodpecker, it looks like somebody took the bird and stuck it upside down in a can of paint. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's from the neck up, it is red. Very true. And so that was cool. And now... We have grosbeaks. Last year we had like one or two. We've got about six of them. And we've got a white and brown dove that has shown up out of nowhere. Whoa. So it's been a real exciting week at the feeders <laughs> at the Kelly house, I have to tell you. Well, that's great. I got <laughs> yeah. a, a quick bird story for you. Yeah. Uh, a redheaded woodpecker mm-hmm. hanging out with a blue jay. Really? Yes. Wow. I, I mean, I was just shocked. They were both flying around together, you know, wow. up in the trees in the park and then you yeah. know, in the yard checking out various yeah. things. So it, co- it took me by surprise to see those two. You know the old song, love the one you're with, right? <laughs> exactly. And maybe you'll end up with a red-headed blue jay. <laughs> you never know. Very well could <laughs> That's <happen>. cool. <laughs> Thanks a lot. You bet. Yes, folks, it is Saturday, and we can have a roundtable discussion about what's going on in your backyard. How about that side and front yard, that specialty garden space, and those houseplants? Oops, shouldn't have put them out quite as early. And, ooh, I forgot that much sun was coming there, and now they're a little bit scorched. And uh, do you need to improve your soil? Should you be pruning right now? How about uh, bugs and diseases? Do you need to be thinking about that? Uh, using information, 
that I share with you, my thoughts, orchestrations, or whatever, will help solidify your options. But the final judgment of the action that you choose to take is going to be on your shoulders. And by the way, this is your show, and I appreciate you inviting me into your home, car, or wherever you happen to be listening. Another important player, as I said before, is Alex. He's producing. He answers the phone as well. So first name and where you're calling from is all he needs. I'm Mike Miller, hosting the Garden Hotline since 94, and I do landscape consultations, which I call walk and talks. You can go to my website, MikeMillerDesigns.com. The homepage has my email address and phone number where I can be reached. And uh, gift certificates, if you'd like to give somebody a gift certificate for a walk and talk, you just contact me and I can email you the gift certificate with the name of the person and your name and whatever you want to have on it. So uh, actually today I'm going to be heading to Brentwood or 63144 just across the street from Tilly's Park. And uh, it's going to be fun time because this is a, a woman growing up. She and her father did a lot of They were both interested in plant material gardening and everything else. And so this is just sort of another step for the two of them as we all three meet together. So, and the Good Gardening Stroll is brought to you by St. Louis Composting, 636-861-3344. It was so nice to have a light, bright sky. This is the first Saturday in a while that it hasn't been raining. So I headed east on Bates, and just before the train tracks, there sits Holly Hills Community Garden. And uh, the Community Garden is, you know, kind of put together or... Back, backed by Gateway Greening and the Holly Hills Improvement Association. And you could tell as soon as you pulled up that the lawn had been recently mowed because there, you could see the wheels of the mower that went through there. There's an oak tree at the corner, and its lichen, its trunk is, has all kinds of different lichens on it. And the foliage is still being pushed out, so it's not completely foliated yet. There's a cluster group of red bud trees. The flowering is done on those, but the newest leaves are really nice and bright and shiny. An elderberry tree, hmm, I'm sure that elderberry tree was planted by some of the garden area birds because elderberries, people generally don't plant them. I'm not exactly sure why, but we just don't. There's a pile of raised bed lumber from old raised beds, and uh, what they're putting up some new sides on the raised beds. And one person who I'd never seen this before, they actually, for the side of their raised bed, they, I guess they went to a sawmill or something and took a trunk of a tree and carved it. So the bark is still on the, on the wood. And that is the side of their particular raised bed. So that was really kind of neat to see. And uh, there's some seasonal cleanup being done as well. There's all kinds of, there's a huge amount of daylily plantings, and they really mask various uh, areas where stormwater, I don't think it goes into there because they're kind of raised grates, but uh, it's kind of hard to figure out exactly what those spots are. But uh, I'm sure, you know, somebody knows exactly what they are, but hmm, I don't. There's uh, some new fencing that's being put in and uh, around the raised beds. And the reason for that is because as I was walking around, two rabbits just sort of scurried away really fast. So as we know, rabbits can really do some damage. Plants that I saw that were up and growing, there are some onions, several varieties of uh, lettuce, some herbs, some iris hadn't you know opened up yet as far as their buds. 
there was some broccoli that had already bolted. I was a little bit surprised about that, but it looked nice, the yellow flowers. And uh, there was some lamb's ear with that gray fuzzy foliage. So you didn't have to worry about that because rabbits won't eat that kind of particular plant material. So anyway, there were some baby marigolds that were showing color, and that was back by the shed. And there used to be a picnic table. I don't know if they're going to bring that back out or not, uh, back by the shed too. River birch trees run along the uh, south and the west boundaries of the community garden. The bright sun shows off some white strawberry flowers. No fruits set yet. But the strawberry plants look pretty darn good. A massive sycamore across the street. Boy, the sun really was shining on that thing and made it really look neat and bright. And uh, robins and doves were checking out all over the place for snacks as I headed for my car. So today's good gardening stroll was at the Holly Hills Community Garden at Arundis and Bates. Mike Miller, KM West Garden Hotline, back after these messages. This is the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with Mike Miller on the voice of St. Louis KMOX. Yes, folks, let's head for our first call of the day over to Caseyville and see what's going on with Ralph. Hi, Ralph. Good morning, Mike. Good morning. I have a question. Uh, I have a real pretty yellow wood tree in my front yard. Mm Mm-hmm. And the snow, and it was just starting to leaf out, and the snow last week just destroyed the leaves, the new leaves coming out. Do you think it's going to come back? Oh, sure. They always have a secondary you know, situation where they, you know, the primary bud's already been ruined, let's say, with the cold weather or whatever it happens to be. And probably some of them are okay, even though you're not able to tell. But there's uh, secondary buds, which will start pushing out, and it may take them a couple weeks, but... Uh, you know, it's you're you're fine. Do you think it, you, is this tree in a in a zone planted zone where um, it's not too far north? Uh, well, it's kind of on the cusp, but uh, they are there's not a huge amount of them, but there are some, and there's plenty. How old? How how long has this one been in the ground in your landscape? Um, I'm going to say about uh, ten years. Yeah. So if it's lasted that long, then you you're fine. Okay. Well, great. Mike, thank you. Certainly, my pleasure. Yeah, all the trees have secondary buds, and not only just the trees, most of the woody plant materials. And, you know, other plants, basically, you know, perennials and things like that, if they got damaged, you know, herbaceous perennials by cold weather and things, the the root system's able to push out another, you know, series of growth. So plants are pretty smart, let's put it that way. So thanks, Ralph. And now let's head from... Caseyville up to Spanish Lake and see what's going on with Jerry. Hi, Jerry. Yeah. Um, I'd like to ask a question. I had several questions. One was um, my peony. Can I uh, trans uh, move it at this time? No. You should wait. Okay. You're, I mean, you should have done it earlier on when the foliage was just coming up. That would be the... You know, the best time to do it in relationship to the spring. But, I mean, it's going to be, it should have some flower buds set, and it should be blooming real soon. I've seen one peony that's starting to already open up. But then you're going to have to wait probably until, oh, I would say mid to late August, early September, and move it at that time. And just make sure the eyes, you know, the eyes of the peony, you know, if you know how it looks, you should dig it up and then just leave it sit above the soil 
for a day because when you first dig up peonies, the root systems are really, really brittle. And you could do some damage by trying to replant it without waiting for a day. And that one day, the root system actually gets more supple and won't be nearly as damaged. And then when you plant it, just make sure the peony eyes, which are kind of like potato eyes, are only about an inch or so below the surface. So if you plant it too deep, then you're going to get foliage, but you won't get the flowers. Okay. Also, if I have some zoysia, and is there some kind of uh, fungus going on? Because my neighbor had a really nice yard, and it's got over into my yard at the curb. Um, I'm thinking about just killing it and replanting it with fescue. There's nothing, you know, out of the ordinary, and I'm surprised that this your neighbor that had this problem, this was not this year, right? Because, I mean, the zoysia no, is just now this greening year, up. No, it was two years ago, yeah. and it still looks bad. Right. So, I mean, there certainly could be, and if you want to, what you can do is just dig up a plot of it, like a one-foot square plot, like it was a piece of sod, and take it to your favorite garden center and have them take a look at it, if you want, as opposed to just sort of like saying, I want to get rid of this, but maybe you do. And, you know, I mean, it's going to be a huge involved process for multiple years to get your lawn thick with overseeding. You're going to have to overseed twice a year in May and September both, to, and probably for three or four years before you're going to get a lawn that's going to be thick. So just that's going to be a lot of work. Okay, so this area I got is by the uh, curb and the sidewalk. Uh, can I just dig that out, perhaps, and uh, resod it? He, he, my neighbor resod it, but they didn't take over there. So I guess it was some kind of fungus or something. Well, also, they, they may not have prepared the soil. You can't just lay sod on the ground. You're going to have to churn it up, add some your organic material like compost or things like that to the ground in the space where you're going to put the sod. If you don't do that, the chances of it surviving is going to be somewhat limited. Okay. Okay, thank you. Certainly, my pleasure. Thanks, Jerry. And now let's go and see what's going on with Matt. Hi, Matt. How are you? Morning, Mike. Good morning. Uh, I got a little problem with my uh, grass growing around the foundation of my house. Seems like every time I put down new sod or something, like springtime right now, it's completely dead. Now, I had some peering done about 25 years ago, and I was just kind of wondering if that has some effect of what's going on here. Well, you know, with up next to the foundation, it's tough to get lawn to grow any of any type. It's You know, weeds can do fine. But the classic lawn type, whether it's zoysia, fescue, bluegrass, or anything, really doesn't like that you know environment. I'm assuming there's, your house has some kind of eave, so that makes it a little bit yes, rougher. Yes, I do, Mike. And another thing, too, is the foundation of your house, by being cement or concrete or whatever it happens to be, is quite alkaline. And actually, your lawn really likes slightly acidic soil. So it might be just too alkaline for, you know, the side to be able to handle it. Yeah. Is there anything I could put down, Mike, you to uh, uh, kind of uh, do something that the, the dirt, you know, gets a little better or something like that? Well, you can add organic matter to it for sure. But probably what I do is, if you're really serious about this, is get a soil test done. Take a soil sample. If you don't know exactly how to do it, it's going to be a Ziploc bag taken and then actually... 
University of Missouri has an extension office in Kirkwood. You can drop it off there, or you can just mail it to their uh, Columbia location. Okay. Okay, Mike, I'll try to do that and see what I can come up with. Yeah, because if you that's the best way to find out what's going on. Is, Either that or put some rock in there and be done with it, huh? <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Mike, thanks a lot. Sure, and speaking of rock, I mean, when we moved from Sular to South City, I put a steel edger uh, to, and actually about three feet out from our house, house foundation and backfilled that with rock because that's the way I walk around the house and everything else and way to get to windows and all that other stuff. So I just never, I don't try to grow anything up close to the house whatsoever. So let's head to Bob's Yard in Maryland Heights. Hi, Bob. Yes, good morning, good Mike. Morning. Um, I have a question about a rhododendron. Uh, the leaves seem to be a pale green rather than a darker green. Uh, someone told me you could use Epsom salt, which is magnesium sulfate, on the ground. Would that work? Well, you can do that. I mean, it's the sulfate is what's important, or you can get iron sulfate if you want to. But the sulfur is basically what changes the soil pH. And then, you know, I like the iron sulfate because the iron is going to help actually, let's say, darken or green it up much more so than my my perspective than the Epsom salts will. Well, how much would I have to put down? Uh, the the bush is about. Uh, three and a half feet tall, about 10 years old? Uh, basically, probably I would think if it's got mulch around it, pull the mulch back, then sprinkle probably, oh, maybe a cup or a cup and a half and water it in. Don't put it up too close to the trunk because the feeder roots are going to be towards the perimeter or the branch, where the branch ends are. And that's, okay. that's you know where you want to have it. Then you can put the mulch back. And just in the future, make sure that you either do it routinely or if you do fertilize, make sure you get a fertilizer for acid-loving plants. Well, what's the time frame for routinely? What do you? Uh, just once a year. I mean, okay. this is not anything that's going to encourage growth or anything else. You're just fooling with the soil. So right. it's, you know, that's you can kind of do that anytime. I wouldn't necessarily do it in the heat of the summertime. But uh, other than that, you're probably fine to do it pretty much any other time. Okay, thank you for your service. Sure, my pleasure. And now let's go to Lynn's Yard in Troy, Illinois. Hi, Lynn. Hello. Hi. I always had a question about uh, putting down pre-emergent. I'm thinking about ahead to the uh, fall uh, in uh, August. And my question is, if you have to wait till after you put it down to mow and walk on it and all that, what do you do about the grass growing in the meantime and keeping it cut? <laughs> well, if you water it in and everything else, you should be fine. I mean, it's in essence, it does kind of break the barrier that it is creating, but you wouldn't want to do any core aeration, anything really physical like that, but you cannot just not walk on it or anything else. It's just it's not realistic. So just go okay. ahead and put it down. Cut your grass as you normally would and, and everything else. All right. Okay, thank you. Sure, my pleasure. Mike Miller, KMRS Garden Hotline. We'll be back after these messages, but give us a call, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. We have some phone lines open. This is the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with Mike Miller on the voice of St. Louis KMOX.
Yes, folks, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Alex will answer the phone, just your first name and where you're calling from. Uh, if you look out into your landscape or your lawn and everything like that, uh, all the cool season weeds, which were germinating basically back in August, early September, they're starting to head downhill as the weather gets warmer and warmer and warmer. That's what puts them to sleep. But through the whole time, they've been dropping seeds, and that's what the pre-emergence are for. So in other words, like the henbit, the chickweed, the annual bluegrass, the Persian speedwell, rabbit's foot clover, all those characters, they're really starting to look a little bit funky. The worst is the chickweed. I think that's probably looking the most sick. So in other words, it's going downhill first. But uh, the henbit still looks kind of strong and healthy, but uh, hopefully a couple warm days. But right now, the things that started germinating and growing when the forsythia was in bloom, the spurge, the ragweed, the knotweed, the lamb's quarter, the carpetweed, crabgrass, barnyard grass, goosegrass, along with other things as well. Now they're going to start to surge and really start taking off. So let's go right now out to Baldwin and go over to Bob's yard. Hi, Bob. Um, hello, Mike. Hi. Yes. I, I have a uh, situation. I had some rock along the side of my driveway, and I dug it out, shoveled it out, put in some topsoil, mixed it with compost, put the grass seed down, and it's really starting to grow. But I realized that I didn't put in enough topsoil because I didn't pack it down. I thought I wouldn't want to pack it down, and so I'm about an inch below where I really wanted to be. Is there a – would I be able to get – a little more topsoil and just kind of brush it in there. And I've got grass sprouts coming up. I would say no, (laughs) to be honest. Uh, You can't, I mean, you're going to bury the the existing lawn and it's brand new. Basically it's young and it's not going to be able to survive that. So I'm just going to deal with it for the time being. Right. After a period, after a period of time, would I be able to like kind of dig it up and put some dirt under it? Yeah, under? you could do that, or just realize that it's you know you're going to have to oversee this you know for several years to get it nice and thick and dense, and it's always going to have problems because it's next to your driveway, and the heat of your driveway is what's causing some of the problem. And consequently, I would say. In, you know, let's say in September, which is the next, you know, I probably wouldn't do it this May. So in other words, May meaning right now, I'd wait till yeah. September, go ahead and just work it up, add the new stuff and then put another, you know, sort of a top dressing of seed on top of that. Okay. Well, it is growing real well and it looks great. It's right. just about an inch too low, <laughs> but I'll wait, I'll wait and kind of let it get established and then try and add something is what you're saying. Then. Right. Exactly. Okay, thank you. Yeah, and if it if it really doesn't work, then you're going to have to just kind of like sacrifice the the grass that is growing and just adds you know the organic uh, I, matter to it, and then just overseed again. Yeah, I kind of thought that might be the issue. Is that I'm gonna I'm gonna start from scratch with another layer of topsoil. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you. Sure, my pleasure. And let's stay Bye. in Baldwin to save gas and go over to Don's yard. Hi, Don. Hi, Mike. Hi. Uh, I got several questions. First, uh, I want to uh, dig up some daffodils and move them. And my question is, when do I do that? And uh, when I replant them, kind of how do I do it? Basically, what you can do is just wait till the foliage starts turning brown. 
So in other words, it's already got up enough energy to, re, re, let's say, restore or revamp the bulb and dig them up at that time. Just cut the foliage off, and I would just... So in other words, when you look at a daffodil bulb and when you're buying it, you just want to have no you know, no foliage, nothing on it, and just store them in a paper bag and then do the reinstallation in a new location sometime in September, October. Okay. Uh, if I want to split a peony, uh, a mature peony, uh, can I do that and when and how? Uh, basically, you have to dig up the whole clump and chop it up into pieces, but you're going to do that in the fall. So let's say, again, September, you know, you could certainly do it at that time. Dig it up, let the whole big clump just kind of sit there and for a day or so, so the root system will get supple and soft, and then chop it in the pieces you want and then reinstall it in the fall. And how deep do I plant that? Uh, the eyes of the peony are kind of look like potato eyes. They only go an inch below the surface. You plant too deep, and it's going to mess it up. Okay. I've got different kinds of weeds, like, um, oh, uh, among other things, um, no, I can't even think of the word right now. Uh, in my uh, flower beds, and I'm wondering, is there some kind of a weed killer that I, is safe to put down without killing the flowers? If they're broadleaf, you know, flowers. So in other words, if they're perennials, or for the most part annuals. So in other words, if this is a grassy type weed, then you can use a grass killer in there. If not, then you're just going to have to kind of take your time, and if you're opposed to an herbicide, you're just going to have to hand dig them out or take an herbicide and paint it right onto the foliage of the weeds. Oh, okay. And finally, when I'm putting down pre-emergent, uh, when is the best time to do that in the grass? It just depends upon what you're going after. There's two different times. One is in the springtime when the yellow forsythia is in bloom, and the other one, because there's two different kinds of weed seeds, annual weed seeds, one's a warm season weed seed, the other one's a cool season. For the cool season, you put it down in August. For the warm season, you put it down in basically when the forsythia is in bloom. So it's not just one time for all of them. It's two different applications. I understand. And uh, where there are uh, flower beds or plants, is there some kind of a pre-emergent to put down around that? Well, there's a product called Preen, P-R-E-E-N, which is, you know, basically sold to be used in plant beds. Okay. I'm familiar with that. Okay. Well, thanks, Mike. Enjoy your show very much. Well, thanks. Thanks for having me on your show. And now let's go to Michelle's yard, and she lives in Webster Groves. Hi, Michelle. Good morning. Hi. We bought a peach tree in March, planted it. It had little buds all over it. And then, of course, we had those two really awful days where the temperatures dropped below um, freezing. Right. Little buds went away, and it hasn't done nothing. Um, no leaves, nothing's coming on it now. I'm wondering if it's dead and I need to just take it out, or should I give it more time? I would say give it more time. You know, it's, okay. it's, it's brand new, it's struggling, and uh, so just kind of 
if let's put it in, if it doesn't leaf out at all by the time, let's say we get to mid June, then it's basically a goner and you might as well get a new one in the fall. Okay, great. And I have one other question. Sure. Um, I have a backyard that all has natives and I have a problem with, I think it's chickweed that has kind of covered through the area. Is there anything I can put on that would kill the chickweed and not the wildflowers? Well, if the wildflowers or perennials are coming back from, let's say, a perennial circumstance as opposed to a type that drops seed and comes back from the seed, then you can use a product called Preen. Preen, okay. Yeah. All right, a, that's all. Yeah, it's a pre-emergent, and it will help you get those under control. And for the chickweed, you're going to want to be putting the the uh, pre-emergent down uh, basically in mid to late August. Mid to late August. Right. Okay. Okay. Thank you very much. Sure. Have a good day. Yes, you do the very same right, thing. And now let's try to get another call on before break. Let's go over to Jeff's yard. Hi, Jeff. Hey, Mike. How are you doing today? Very good. Two quick questions for you. Maybe not that quick. I'm not sure. One, I got some walnut trees I planted like 35 years ago, and they are maybe 30 feet tall and, um, you know, 12 inches in diameter. They just they just don't seem to have grown very fast, and I don't was wondering if there's anything I could do to get them growing faster. And the other question is, I got like a handful of what I think are pin oak trees. Trees, I got a bunch of those galls growing on them. I was wondering what what I what does a person do about those? The galls you just basically have to live with. There's not too much you can do. I mean, there is injections and all kinds of other stuff, but it's not you know you're going to be spinning your wheels as far as try to get them under control. And with the walnuts, there's not again with that there's not you you're not going to get accelerated growth regardless of what you do. But what you want to do maybe is auger some do some deep root feeding you go out halfway from the trunk to the drip line the extension of the branches start augering holes with an earth auger so it's it's like a bigger drill bit and backfill those holes six inches deep are the holes backfill them with compost and then go out another two feet do a concentric circle where the holes that you're augering are about two feet apart as well and what you're doing is you're feeding the soil and then the soil will in turn feed the, you know, the tree, the walnut trees. But nothing's going to, you know, create a fast-growing circumstance, especially if they've been in the ground that long. Gotcha. All right. Sounds good. Thanks for the help. Sure. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline. We're going to be back after these messages. But if you have questions, comments, or concerns, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-925. 1120. This is the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with Mike Miller on the voice of St. Louis KMOX. Yes, folks, how are your summer bulbs doing? Uh, there's some people in the neighborhood that leave like cannas planted up next to their foundation of their house outside year round. And they're up and probably, at least at this one house, uh, maybe 8 to 10 to 12 inches tall. The cannas that I have that planted in pots, and I just planted them probably a couple weeks ago, uh, they're not showing any kind of growth at all. But I do, I do some crazy stuff also. I have some amaryllis that I've had for years, and finally I just you know didn't want to have them inside anymore. So I kind of plant them outside with 
um, the cannas and the elephant ears and the other things like that. And they're the only ones that are showing any kind of growth in the, you know, in the, in the pots or the containers or whatever. So uh, there's plenty of time for all this stuff to take off, and I'm just going to sort of enjoy watching. And now let's see, where should we head? Let's go over to Jim's yard. Hi, Jim. Hi, thanks for taking my call. Sure. I have a approximately 12-foot blue, blue spruce tree in the backyard. It's in full sun. Uh, it suddenly, last fall, lost all its needles on, on the inner part of the tree. Um, and I treated it with a copper-based fungicide. Do I have any hope of those needles coming back again? The interior needles, basically the tree, let's say, sloughs those off or kicks them off because there's not enough sunlight in there, so they're not they're being counterproductive overall to the overall health of the tree. So this is just something, a natural occurrence. If you go into a forest of, let's say, conifers, you're not going to see any kind of needles on the interior parts of the trees. That just doesn't happen. Well, I, I thought that, you know, reading up on it, there's a disease that, that takes away all the inner needles except for the top of the tree, and, and then I was told to treat it with copper fungicide. Well, that's uh, that's fine that's, to do, but for the most part, unless it's really dramatic and it's knocked off the needles on the lower branches and things like that, it, this is just a natural occurrence. If you go to the uh, botanical yeah. garden and look at the you know the trees, the conifers on the botanical garden grounds, you're going to see there's not needles on the inside of the the plant because there's no sunlight coming in there. That's why. Uh-huh. The, I mean, even a, a deciduous type tree, there's not leaves on the inside parts, you know, near the trunk because there's not enough sunlight there. Yeah, I just thought it was very unusual because the only green needles are at the very ends of the branches. Right. Now, it could certainly, I mean, if you treated it, but uh, if you've only got a few inches and this is an older tree, with needles on it, then yeah, it could be a disease circumstance. But for the most part, you're going to experience that with whether it's arborvitae, whether it's uh, Alberta spruce, whether it's blue spruce, whether it's white pines, or whatever it happens to be. Well, good. I'll hopefully I'll uh, it'll still survive. Right. Well, good luck with that. And let's see if we can get another call in. Let's go to Peggy, and she lives in Hazelwood. Hi, Peggy. Hey, Mike. How Hi. are you today? Very good. Hey, I have a, a backyard. I have a slight slope with the backyard with a fence and wisteria across the back, but we're the low one on in the neighborhood, so I get a lot of water. And I'm thinking about putting in a retaining wall, maybe up about four bricks um, at the back to kind of take out that slope to kind of give me a little bit less water coming in. Is there a special tool besides a shovel that helps to dig out that trench to put a retaining wall in? Well, uh, use a spade rather than a shovel. A spade is one that has a square bottom. That's for digging. A shovel is for more scooping. So, but that's about all you're going to be able to, you know, I mean, obviously if you can get some kind of mechanical thing, that would be great. But uh, just a shovel should, shovel won't work. I mean, shovel can work, but a spade is going to be better. Yeah, and, and you're right, a spade. But I just didn't know if there was any type of trenching machine that would, you know, kind of do that. Uh, I, not that I know of. There probably is, but nothing is going to, you know, I don't know where you could rent it or anything else. Always and make sure you go deeper, you know, like probably six or eight inches deeper below the surface 
and you're going to backfill that with uh, like rock slash gravel to set the bricks right. on. Right. Okay, that, that's what I was wanting to see if you had any information on. Thank you, Mike. Yeah, the trenching, you know, I mean, there are trenchers, but uh, I don't know, you know, where you're going to be able to get. Uh, I mean, you could go online and see if there's some place locally that, you know, I don't know how long this, you know, space is or anything else, and see if they can come out and how much that's going to cost you because you're going to have a lot yeah. of work. I'm pretty much a do-it-yourselfer, so I just right. was looking to see, you know, <laughs> what what kind of help I can get. It's, you know, not as young as I used to be anymore. So. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, none All of right. us are. Thanks, Mike. Sure, my pleasure. Thanks, Have a Peggy. Good day. Yep, you too. Uh-huh. And that's going to be probably our last call for this hour. So, Rich, Gene, Lou, and Terry will get to you uh, after we come back from the news. Uh, things that you need to be thinking about. Your zoys is probably starting to get pretty darn green. And so consequently, you're going to, this would probably be the second or third mowing for that. Everybody always says that, you know, your mower should be lower than what I like to cut my zoysia. My zoysia, I set the mower at about three inches. And as the season goes on, I actually raise it up to about three and a half or four inches. Because to me, when it's really short, I don't like how it looks. And I'm just, you know, worried about the crowns getting sunburned. So that's just my own deal. With the tall fescues and the bluegrasses, they're perfectly beautiful right now. But as the weather starts getting warmer and warmer, they're going to be starting to go a little bit downhill. So with those, you want to have set your mower about, uh, oh, three and a half to four inches on your cool season lawns. And... Uh, the herbicides and things like that, as far as for the broadleaf weeds in your lawn, uh, just apply as needed. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline. I'll be back after the news. Now, at your service. Welcome to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with Mike Miller on the voice of St. Louis KMOX. Yes, folks, it's the Garden Hotline, tip of the trial hour, and I'll be giving that shortly. But right now, give us a call at 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120 with ideas, questions, concerns, or comments about the plant materials. And, Mr. Kelly, before you take off. Yes, sir. So you headed towards the beach, and you spent uh, how many days on the beach? Uh, three days on the beach. So did yes. you guys get sunburned? Uh, actually, there's a little stripe on my shoulder here. I, you know, I, I have real fair skin. Although I spent a lot of time in the sun, I always wear sunscreen. I had the, I had my appointment with a dermatologist when I got back. <laughs> <laughs> that was not the best timing in the world. But, but you know, you put the stuff on and you think you got it all, and then a couple hours later, you look and there's a stripe right there. <laughs> oh well, there you go. One of the first times I went down to Florida, uh, we, I, I, you know, thought I had lo- lathered up, you know. And I had blotches and stripes. So I went to the, they don't have all those t-shirt stores down there. So I have a shirt made. It says, Ryan's Custom Tans. (laughs) 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 And yes, I had a custom tan this time as well. Uh, How about Sue? Does she have fair skin as well? Uh, Not too bad. And she doesn't get in the sun quite as much as I do. But uh, she came through unscathed. Perfect. Yes. Boy, the water was cold though. Was it? Oh my goodness. I got up to about to my waist on the third day. And I was standing there, and I'm looking out at the water thinking, this is like 
ice. This is just <laughs> stupid. And I turned around and went back up. It was, and it wasn't that warm. It was like in the seventies. It was beautiful. Don't get me wrong. Right. But you're yeah, talking air temperatures was, was the seventies. Yeah. Or where the water yeah. temperature was. Water 70s. temperature is probably fifty. <laughs> I don't know, but <laughs> right. it was really cold. And you know what's funny is the kids don't care. Right. Kids go to the beach. They're in the water. They Absolutely. don't care. You know. That's what the beach is about. But uh, I couldn't handle it. A little too old for that cold. <laughs> <laughs> well, great. Well, I'm glad you didn't get sunburnt. Just a little. <laughs> yes, folks. Thanks for having me on your show, and we can discuss plant selection, caring for ups and downs, and all around about the annuals. The bulbs, those daffodils and tulips and things like that, what should you be doing for them now? There's foliage that's still green, so it wouldn't hurt to do a little fertilizing on those. How about the cool season vegetables, the edibles? How about the warm season vegetables and edibles? How about ground covers, house plants, lawns, perennials, roses, trees, shrubs, vines, or water gardens? I'll share my thoughts, but please remember my answers, comments, and opinions is not the only garden path to take, but strictly offered for you to consider. Alex Alex is across the big board. He's producing. He answers the phone. Just your first name and where you're calling from is all he needs. I spend time doing landscape consulting if, when I'm not on the air. And you can go to my website, MikeMillerDesigns.com. And um, homepage, that's where my email address and phone number is. And if you'd like to give a gift certificate, I have those. I'd email you that, and you could give it to somebody. And then they contact me, and we'd schedule a time for me to come to your home. Uh, today, I'm headed out towards right by Tilly's Park, right across the street on McKnight, and uh, going to have some fun walking around this landscape as well. So when I do the walk and talks in your landscape or somebody that you give as a gift certificate, uh, we talk about the plant material, ups and downs and all arounds, the cares for, and everything else. And the tip of the trial is a special recognition for individual, group, or a situation that's made an impression on me, and it's brought to you by St. Louis Composting, 636-861-3344. Tip of the trial goes out to some of my favorite people, not really people, favorite dogs in the neighborhood. I walk uh, early in the morning, and then I walk in the afternoon. So I get to see Levi, Maverick, Andy, Dakota, Gabby, Lucy, Zoe, and these are the the dogs, and they all. Um, some of them are really, real interesting. Other ones, you know, go, hmm, it's him again. We're really bored with him. But anyway, enough of that. But the uh, tip of the trial goes out to all the dog owners. I, you know, it just adds some nice fun to my walks as I head around through the neighborhood. And then a tip of the trial also goes out to. The Canna Banana Farm. It's been planted, so that is a house that's at uh, Federer and Federer and Morgan Ford. And the gentleman and was his wife grow great bananas there. They grow a lot of cannas as well. And interesting, I was walking the other day, yesterday morning, I guess it was, and unfortunately, an opossum got killed in the street right in front of their house. So. Uh, I said, you know, there's a possum out there, and he said, yeah, I saw it earlier. So he was going to go out and pick it up and put it in a plastic bag or put it in some kind of bag because he said, if I don't do that, then it'll probably start smelling and it'll just be horrible. So anyway, the Canna Banana Farm has been planted, and probably in a couple, probably a month or five weeks or so, they'll really start showing some growth. So Canna Banana Farm gets a tip of the trowel as well as... Zoe, Lucy, Gabby, Dakota, Andy, Maverick, and Levi. Actually, Levi is the dog that is part of the people, 
part of the member of the family for the Canna Banana Farm. So anyway, let's take a call or two before we take a break. Let's go to North County and into Rich's yard. Hi, Rich. Thank you much for your program, Mike. Sure, my pleasure. I have... I have a back deck, and I have a number of flower boxes on it, and the squirrels just love to dig around in the flower boxes. Is there anything I can put on that soil to keep the squirrels away? Uh, To be honest, once they get into a habit like that, there's not really too much you can do. What you might, you know, it's just, it's going to be a real difficult, you know, situation. You might, uh, they're there digging because it's easy digging. So you probably have some nice potting mix in there. And uh, the repellents, you might try those. Go to your favorite garden center and tell them you need some repellent. And just, you just have to reapply that, you know, kind of on a frequent basis. But uh, beyond that, there's really not too much else you can do. Physical barrier you know, can make it a little bit difficult for the plant material that you are trying to grow there. So, I mean, putting, you know, like chicken wire or something like that on the surface of the, of the your pots or window boxes or whatever it is, is not going to really work all that well. And uh, so there's really not too much you can do. Okay. Well, I thought I'd check with you. Right. Thank you very much. Yeah. So again, head to your favorite garden center and tell them you want a repellent because you've got some squirrel problems. And it's not going to be anything that's going to be to the disadvantage of plant material. It's going to be something that the squirrels, you know, smell or whatever it happens to be. Some people say, you know, you could put hot pepper, you know, sprinkle it on it and all these other type things. And, you know, that might work. Probably the best thing to do is just not do anything really consistent and uh, just always change. So thanks, Rich. And uh, let's get another call. Gene in South County. Hi, Gene. Good morning, Mike. Hi. I would like to plant some cherry tomatoes in a pot. What would be your recommendations as to the size or the type of pot to do it, to just do a container? With a single plant? Yeah. Yes. Uh, Basically, probably, uh, I would say at least 16 inches in diameter and about 12 to 14 inches deep. And put it, you know... And because of the tomatoes in, in a pot circumstance that you're you know describing, make sure that you have a saucer underneath it because tomatoes really like to have a lot of moisture, and it won't hurt at all if you have a little bit of water in that you know, saucer underneath the plant material. And then use uh, you know tomato food, you know once you get it in a, you know planted. So do you keep are you are you saying to keep water in that saucer all the time? Yeah, just I mean just a little bit. You don't have to keep okay. it, you know, fully deep, but you want to make sure that the tomato doesn't go through any kind of drought stress at all. So how often do you use this tomato food? Uh probably every 2 weeks. Okay. Okay. All right. Thank you very much. Sure, my pleasure. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages. This is the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with Mike Miller on the voice of St. Louis, KMOX. Yes, folks, back to the phones. We're headed over to Lou's yard. Hi, Lou. Yeah, I know you're not a forester, but you often talk about the blue spruce trees that die out after a certain amount of time. I've seen them 
bedraggled and live forever. Yes. I planted two in the 1980s, very cute, very tiny. They grew to be beautiful. Perfect. About 25, 30 feet tall. Suddenly, one of them decided to deer ate it, which deer never eat blue spruce, but one winter they did. Anyway, it started dying, and it got so bad, we finally took it down. And when we cut it off and close to the ground, the stump was, the bottom of the trunk's stump, was hollow. And something had to be happening there, I guess, that I caused that. I don't know what, the age or what. So the other thing I want to do now, I've got a uh, beautiful start of a little cedar tree. And I that stump out there has already rotted. And I've just taken the hammer and chopped it out. I'm wondering if it will... There's there's no root system. Well, there's root system, but it's dead, finally. Uh, whether there'll be any problem to put that cedar tree in about the same location. Um, I don't think the tree roots from before are, in, are live at all, but I don't know whether there's anything too close to that that have any idea why why the tree turn hollow, just age, I guess. Yeah, age, you know, and, yeah, I mean, it could be heartwood rot and all, there's other factors along with the age. But, yeah, I mean, you can plant it in, you know, don't plant it right over the top of where the existing uh, spruce that you took out was, but just go out there and probe around with a spade and just find a spot where there's no wood or anything else underneath the ground and you, you know, should have no problems growing, you know, the cedar slash juniper in this spot mm-hmm. at all. Just not exactly on top of where the existing spruce was. The amazing part is that stump has rotted, and I was able to even just dig it out with a claw hammer. Wow. I've got a cedar tree that we cut, and I have put everything on that stump, root rot, everything, and that thing will. I've taken the axe and chopped down and got to work and mow over. That thing, it does not, it's typical cedar, it does not rot. You know, I, this Bruce Bruce and just hated because it was quite a landscape in front of my old southern style home, and uh, it uh, they were pretty. And the the other one looks like it's starting to do something too. Yeah, I, on the bottom, I don't know. I see the ones that are out, and there's nothing left but the tops, and they're bedraggled, but they they're living. They got to be old. Yeah, I mean, it's just I mean the age factor plus the spruces. I mean, and this is a tough environment for them here. You know, the cedars are native here. The spruces are not. So that's part of the factor as well. So. Yeah. Well, I'll try to find a spot that uh, I think might work and still be in the proximity where I want it. All right. Sounds perfect, Lou. Good luck. All right. Thank you. Yep. And now let's head over to Terry's yard. Hi, Terry. Hi, Mike. Hi. Are you there? Yes. Hey, uh, just a shout-out, too, from the Highland Garden Club. I'm with some of the Garden Club ladies, but that's not why I called exactly, but they wanted to say hi. Oh, great. I'm calling about a dogwood that um, I've had for 10-plus years. It has never bloomed one time. And I did speak to someone about it, oh, you know, a little while back, and they asked me if I prune it, and I said, well, sure, because it, you know, gets a little crazy. And they said, well, stop doing that. So I haven't touched it for several years. And it gets in the spring, what I think well, I would call a little, I'll call them the flower bracts. I don't think that's the right word, but I get very hopeful that I'm going to get a bloom. And then I they just fall off and I get nothing. What's going on? Uh, 
I don't know exactly, but that sounds a little <laughs> odd. I mean, with, with the native dogwoods, you probably have to wait for five or six years. That's why people generally buy the hybrids because they start blooming a little bit sooner. But, yeah, at the tips of the branches for the dogwood, it should look like a little button, you know. Yeah, it does, absolutely. And I get so hopeful every year. I'm like, okay, maybe this year. And they don't open yeah. up at all? I promise you they don't. And then, you know, after you have your, when I look around at other dogwoods and I see, you know, their blooms and their petals, I mean, what you see in the middle, again, I call that a bract. I don't know if that's right. That's what I, that's what I get. It's like it's already spent, if that makes any sense. Never a bloom, never a one. So you're getting the thing to open, but it doesn't have any petals? Is that what you're saying? It, it is, and I know how weird that sounds. Yes, I very. I can't figure it at all. <laughs> yeah, I have no and guess. Yet, oh, darn. And this is probably unrelated, but, I mean, I've been reading a little bit, and um, sometimes in the fall some of them get that little berry that almost reminds you of a cranberry. Right. That makes sense. I, I think I spotted, I don't know, a couple of those last fall. I thought that was a good sign, but obviously it wasn't. <laughs> well, you only get those, you know, those berries if there's a flower there that has been pollinated. So why you're not oh. getting petals, I don't know. Yeah, it makes me sad. Right. <laughs> I would say leave that tree there and go to your favorite garden center and get a hybrid you know, of the dogwood and, you know, kind of maybe planted in close proximity. And that way they can I grow see. together and then you're not going to, you know, after a time you're going to be able to say, well, you know, who knows where these flowers are coming from? And it doesn't matter. I just got flowers with petals now. On the other one, on the hybrid, or you think it might have some impact on the other one? No, it shouldn't have any impact, you know. Oh, I see your point, one. though. Okay. Right. You just want me to smile and be happy, right? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right, Mike. Thank you. Sure. My pleasure. And uh, okay. let's see. Let's go to Michael's Yard in Crestwood. Hi, Michael. Hi. Um, we have a red bud about 20 years old in our front yard. Uh, a lot of full sun during the day. Um, two of the five major limbs of the red bud have died and we've cut a, cut them off at the base and now we're concerned about the remaining part of the red bud whether it's going to survive it it had some peeling bark at the bottom like maybe a fungus attacked it was hoping you could advise us on how to keep it alive yeah basically you know because you lost certain branches you said it's 10 years old uh probably about 20 20 so those branches could just be old, and, I mean, that's just kind of the circumstance of it. The overall health of the tree, if it's fully, if it's leafing out right now and the leaves look it in is. natural shape and you're going to have, I mean, red buds have kind of a sporadic, you know, number of foliage. They're never going to be dense and thick just by the way they grow and everything else. I think your tree's probably fine. It's just, you know, those two particular branches just for whatever reason, they could have had some storm damage. They could have been cracked by winds or, or who knows what. And then water could have run, you know, into the cracks and caused problems from that standpoint. But uh, something at the base of the trunk is not going to kill off, you know, something higher up in the tree. Okay. Thank you, Mike. Sure. My pleasure. Yeah. I mean, red buds are really pretty tough and durable. They're native. But uh, you never know. I mean, there's always quirky things going on. Let's head now over to Chris's yard. Hi, Chris. Hi. Hi. Um, I was wondering, 
I have naked lady lilies, and what do I do with all that foliage? Leave it alone. <laughs> okay. <laughs> because basically that foliage is building up the bulb for later on that's going to shoot up the flower. Okay. So, yeah, leave it, and once the foliage starts, it's kind of like with daffodils and tulips or anything. Once the foliage starts turning brown, you can cut it off. But uh, leave it as long as it's still looking green because it's building up the energy in the bulb. Okay. Thank you so much. Sure. My pleasure. Yeah. Bye-bye. And let's see if we can get one more call in. And Carol, how are you today? Hi, I'm fine. Oh, great. Um, I have uh, an apple tree that has uh, Asian ladybug beetles crawling all over it, and I just wondered if that's an issue I need to address or and what, how I should spray it or what I should spray it with. So these are like green ladybugs? No, they're the red ones, but they're not. They have the little W on them on their backs. They're not a real ladybug. Okay. I would say don't worry about them. You know, okay. If you're worried about them, I would just take a hose and knock them off. All right. And will those bugs go over to my garden or anything? Or are they just what they are? Are they just. They're not going to just stay where they are. I mean, they're there for one particular reason right now, but they're going to migrate when, for whatever reason they're on your tree is right now. And so consequently, they may end up, you know, in other parts of your landscape also. You can get. Uh, you know, some of the organic sprays, if you want to try to kill them off, it's up to you. I would say just... And then do they... Uh, so they won't hurt the garden plants either? No, basically not. They're not really problematic when it comes to damage to plant material. All right. One more question. We had a great crop of apples last year, but they were all bug infested. Um, is there... Is it too late to spray them for, um, for that or... Well, you know, without knowing exactly what kind of bug it particularly was, is this yeah. the first year you got a crop off your apple? Yeah, and it's an old tree that um, we have maybe two or three every year since we've moved here. But last year we had enough to, I made apple cider with them since they were buggy. But <laughs> 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 and it really is wonderful apple cider. But the thing, I, you know, of course I didn't throw the buggy stuff in. But right. um, I just was curious I've read a little bit about certain times to spray for something that plants a bug in the flower or something, you know. So right. I, but it seems a little complicated, so I didn't know if you had any ideas on that. Basically, I mean, they've got to get inside the fruit, so until the fruits actually form, there's nothing that's going to be problematic for it. Okay. So just watch your plant and, you know, go from that standpoint and, uh you know, if you want to use an insecticidal soap or something like that and spray it directly onto the insects as you're seeing them, you uh-huh. could do that or just kind of live with whatever happens. All right. All right. Well, I appreciate it. Thank you. Sure. My pleasure. Yeah, a lot of times, you know, and I'm not just sort of blowing stuff off with with many of the comments that I'm making. It's just that it's more trouble to sort of fight something than just sort of live with it. And we're never going to have a picture-perfect circumstance, whether it's due to diseases, due to the weather, due to insects or anything else here, we have a very difficult place to grow plant material. So just say hallelujah for any success that you have. And there is going to be things that, you know, you're going to be disappointed by. And this is for anyone. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages. 
This is the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with Mike Miller on the voice of St. Louis KMOX. Yes, folks, let's head over to Marsha's yard. Hi, Marsha. Hi, Mike. Hi. Uh, I have a question about some erosion that we have at the bottom of our hill. It's about ankle deep, and I was wondering what I could plant in there to help slow that down. Uh, basically, what you can do is there's several different kinds of plants that can you know work in a wet soil circumstance. If you want to see a full array of things, you can go to the Missouri Botanical Garden, mobot.org, and say rain garden. But uh, two different kinds of shrubs that you might want to try in there. One is called a red twig dogwood. It's a dogwood shrub with bright red twigs on the branches. And get the variegated one, and that means the foliage is going to be white. So it's going to you know look white. And then in the wintertime when the leaves fall off, you can actually see the red twigs. Another one, if you want an evergreen in this, this type of situation, is an ink, I-N-C-K, inkberry. That's a native to Missouri swamp plant, and it is evergreen. So you could do the combination of those two things very easily there together. Any kind of, like, ground cover? Uh Probably, uh, I would say, how much water goes through there? Well, I don't really know. All I know is that the ground is washing away at the bottom of the hill, and uh, there's grass that grows right next to it. So, you know, my husband right now has some rocks that he put into that little gully. Uh huh. But um, we were thinking that maybe we could plant some kind of ground cover there that it wouldn't hurt if we hit it with a lawnmower. Well, I mean, that could work, but it's going to be very difficult to get the ground cover. Even a wet soil-type ground cover, let's say like Liriope spicata or a monkey spreading monkey grass type thing, for it to get established, if there's heavy-duty rains, it may not get established. That's why the woody plant material won't have a tendency to be washed away. That's why I recommended that. Okay. How tall does that get? Well, it's, you know... I mean, if you get the Nordic variety of inkberry, it'll get about uh, three to four feet high. And the red twig dogwood, if you get the Ashante, which is a a hybrid of it, uh, that'll probably get to about five or six feet high. Okay. All right. Well, thank you very much. Sure. My pleasure. And now let's head over to Roger's yard. Hi, Roger. Good morning. How are you? Very good. Uh, I've got a Japanese maple that's getting quite large and a lot of branches hanging down on my patio. When's a good time to prune that? Basically, I like to prune the maples during the summertime, during the warmer weather. So basically, from this point, I would probably wait a little bit longer. And then sometime between mid-May and mid-July, cut it back at that time. Okay, sounds good. Yeah, if you've got branches that uh, you want to cut off, just don't stub them off. Cut them back if they're longer branches so you don't tear any kind of bark on the trunk or anything. Cut them back in sections with the final cut, either on the, the larger branches attached to or the trunk, about a quarter inch or so. And that way you can allow the cambium layer to you know scab over, and that's the best thing you can probably do. Okay. Appreciate the advice. Sure. My pleasure. And now let's go to O'Fallon, Missouri, and into George's yard. Hi, George. Morning, Mike. Hi. Hey, we've got a, a Japanese maple in our front yard. It's been probably 20, 23 years old, and it's been dropping leaves 
so far this spring, and it's never done that before. I think that's weather-related, or is there another issue maybe? Uh, could be. I mean, I don't understand, you know, why, how it could be anything else, because just leaf dropping, if you don't see, I mean, it's been too early for any kind of major insect problems to cause of foliage to be, let's say, cut off or anything. So I think it's just weather-related. Yeah, it looks like the leaves are just kind of withering and then it's falling off the tree. I'm kind of worried about it. I don't know. Uh, is that maybe water-related, moisture? Well, I'm, I'm a tree that's that? been in that, you know, in that location that long, I mean, we haven't had that. I mean, there's been some really wet periods. Has there been changes in the, your landscape or your downspouts where they're pushing the water out or anything? Is, no, nothing's really changed. So that if there's nothing really changed, then I think— you probably had an excessive amount of buds. The winter wasn't severe enough to kill any of the leaf buds off, but the tree just doesn't have enough, let's say, root system to uptake the nutrients and moisture to keep all the leaves, you know, let's say, persistent and consistent. Yeah. It's not just in one area of the tree. It's basically all over. Right. The leaves are just falling off some. And I've got another question. I put in oak leaf hydrangea in October. And it's starting to leaf out now. Is there anything I should be doing as far as fertilization or just let it go this uh, year and see what it does? Or Yeah, I would say leave it alone for this year because sometimes we can fertilize things and they don't have enough root system. We could cause more problems than we or we're not helping the plant at all. Let it get established. Then think about doing some fertilization with an acid-based fertilizer next year. Okay. And when is that flower? Is that like... Um summertime more so is it more summer right and should we take the flowers off to have it let it uh you know get a little better start i mean that would be the ideal situation but you know so the first year i mean it's just stresses any kind of plant out to allow it to you know to allow it to you know flower so if you just take the flowers off when you start to see them open you're just helping the overall let's see Ability of the plant to get established in the new location. Gotcha. Okay. Thank you, sir. Sure. My pleasure. And now let's go to Martha in St. Paul. Hi, Martha. Hello. Hi. Um, I Last year I bought two hanging baskets of mums, and they were marked as uh, annuals, so I didn't expect them to come back. What I did is I dug two holes in a sheltered area in our yard, put the baskets in the yard, in the ground, and now they are blo- not blooming, but they're at least, oh, eight inches tall. And my question is, should I keep them in the baskets or should I transplant them into the ground? Well, you could do either one because there okay. is technically not an annual mum. So, but what you want to do is if they're eight inches long as far as the stems go, pinch them about halfway back. So yes. you can get okay. it, you know, so you can get it thicker. And, uh, but you can put them in the ground if you want, or you can just leave them, you know, in the hanging basket if you want. It's up to you. Okay. All right. Well, thank you. Sure. And they like fertilizer, and they like, you know, if you want them, want them thick, there's going to be right now, and then another probably six weeks from now, you're going to pinch them back again. And so, consequently, that's how you get more stems coming up in a thicker plant. Okay. All right. Well, thank you. Sure. My pleasure. And let's take a break. Mike Miller, KMWAS Garden Hotline, back after these messages. This is the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with Mike Miller on the voice of St. Louis, KMOX. 
Yes, folks, we're headed over to Greg's yard, and he lives in Fairview Heights. Hi, Greg. Yeah, hi, Mike. Thanks hi. for taking my call. And sure. Thank you for all your knowledge and wisdom. I have a question about a dogwood tree. I'm interested in planting a dogwood in our eastern yard. We have an open yard, and it gets pretty much full sun. Uh, will, a, will a dogwood handle mostly full sun or does it need to be partial shade no they can grow in the full sun they don't have to be in the shade i mean their native habitat is in a woodland you know woodland type circumstance but they don't have to have that especially if you're going to get a hybrid so don't just get a you know cornus floor to get you know with another name past you know that particular thing do you have a recommendation on a particular type no i mean there's all garden centers, not every garden center is going to have the same type, but just tell them that you want a, you know, a hybrid in the size and everything else. I probably wouldn't get uh, get one too large because, you know, the, the ability of it to acclimate to the new location, and in other words, your landscape is, you know, going to, the larger it is, it's going to take a longer time. That's not going to, shouldn't influence it or have an adverse influence, but it could. And just make sure that when you plant it, you dig the hole three times the diameter of the root ball of whatever size you know it happens to be. But only 80% is deep, so you want the top of the root ball above the surrounding ground. And then put about uh, two inches of mulch over you know the root ball. That's, that's great. Th- th- thanks so much, Mike. You're great. Sure, Appreciate my it. pleasure. And now yep. let's go to Dale's yard. Hi, Dale. Hi, Mike. Uh, Hi. My question, my question is: I have a uh, Japanese uh, plum tree. It's called a, a shiro. It's a yellow plum, and it is absolutely delicious. However, uh, in the last couple of years, it has diminished in production. And I, I talked to one of my neighbors who claims to be some type of an agronomist, and he told me to go out and hit it with a baseball bat. What? And, yeah, he's a hit hit the bottom of the trunk with a baseball bat, and I. I, you know, I, I, agronomically, is that is, is that acceptable? And I should I, should I do it at night so my neighbors don't think I'm on the sauce? Or, uh, you could do you could do some major damage. I don't know what hitting the trunk with a bat could possibly do, other than put a wound into the trunk and create a circumstance where you're going to get fungus problems where that wound hit. So okay. I never heard of anything like that before. Well, maybe I should use an aluminum bat. <laughs> <laughs> or a wiffle ball bat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a wiffle ball bat. Okay, thanks, thanks a lot. Sure. I, I, will not, I will not beat the tree. Thank you. <laughs> wow. <laughs> anyway, let's go out back to Baldwin and into John's yard. Hi, John. Hey, Mike. Good morning. How are you doing? Very good. Hey, Mike, I, I did a uh, simple question. These oak trees are dropping what I call tumbleweed. Is there any purpose in that? I don't get that one. You mean the the stuff that's like the flowers? That's basically the flowers. So in other words, all this yellow stuff that's on the ground? Right, yeah. That, I call it tumbleweed. They yeah. kind of gather up. So, yeah. yeah, basically that's their flowering. So ultimately some of them are going to be pollinated, and that's where the acorns come from. Uh, so you mow them or pick them up? Either way, doesn't really matter. Uh, one more question if you can. Sure. Yeah. Who do you think is going to win the Derby today? <laughs> I don't know. Alex was just talking about it. They're going into, over to watch it later on. I yeah. like the favorite, to be honest. 
But then there's yeah. that Hot Rod Charlie. He looks good, too. I know he was like 8 to 1 I saw this morning. So I'm going to go with, uh, write it down, Midnight Bourbon. Midnight Bourbon. There you go. <laughs> Have a good day, man. Yeah, right, you, too. Thank you. And another my, another person from Ballin, Michael, can you do it kind of quick? Hello. Hi. Hi. Yeah, this is Mike from Ball. I have two questions for you. Thanks for taking my call, Mike. I have, last year I planted eight azalea bushes in about, I don't know, the latter part of the year. And I dug the root ball as instructed, and I put the mulch down. <clears throat> and they came out excellent this year. They uh, flowered very beautifully. We had the frog. That was a problem. Six of the bushes are uh, regular um, azaleas, and they bloom once a year. The other two are special hybrid. I, I guess I bought. It's supposed to bloom three times a year, and they're doing quite well right now. But my question for you is, what do I fertilize them? Do I do I do anything? What? How do I help them to uh, establish themselves? And uh, definitely do fertilize. fertilizing. Fertilize them before the right before the flowers open. Fertilize them during the flowering period, and then a couple weeks after they finish flowering. And make sure you use an acid-based fertilizer. Acid-based. Is that the miracle Grow? Which type is acid-based? Yeah, there's, it's called mere acid. Mere acid. Okay. Excellent. My second question is, I have these rose bushes, these knockout rose bushes I planted, oh, maybe four years ago. And they do quite well every year. But last year, they got attacked by some kind of little bug that's eating the leaves up. And uh, they're back again this year, already... They were flowering, looking great, and now yesterday I discovered the bugs eating them again. So is there anything that I can spray them with, or what can I do to, because they just attack these uh, knockout rose bushes, and they eat everything. I mean, it's horrible. Right. It might be Japanese beetles. What you need to do is get uh, a systemic, S-Y-S-T-E-M-I-C, systemic type insecticide. So in other words, you put it on the ground, it goes up through the root system, and all through the stems, and then if anything eats, it's going to get killed that way, as opposed to either that or you're just going to have to monitor them really closely and go out and spray them with an insecticide. But try the systemic uh, insecticide. Systemic insecticide. Okay. Thank you very much. Yep, my pleasure. And that's going to be uh, about it for the day. So, Randy and Judy, sorry, we're not able to get to you. Mike Miller, KMWAS Garden Hotline. I will see you next week. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. (sighs) Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. 
Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply.